Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Pound for Pound podcast here on the Fight Game Media Network. I'm your co-host, Carlos Toro, and joining me every single week is Robert Silva. Robert, how are you doing? Good evening, Carlos. What's up, big man? What's up, fight fans? All right, so not a lot. So not a lot of you know uh, time to waste here. There's a lot to sort of discuss on, on this week's episode. Up, where we're supposed to sort of start off with the Showtime schedule being announced on March 15th, you know, which is the day that we're recording this. But we gotta we gotta open things up with this uh, developing Virgil Ortiz situation. So in case you haven't heard. Virgil Ortiz Jr. versus Michael McKinson, which was supposed to take place on March 19, is no longer taking place. Uh, Ortiz was admitted to a hospital. Uh, I, I don't know. The, I don't know the exact day, but I, I assume today. But he has been diagnosed with rhabdomyolysis, which, uh, for those of you who don't know, it's quite a, a pretty serious situation for Virgil Ortiz so it's a it's essentially it's a a condition where sort of I guess muscle tissue releases you know proteins electrolytes into the blood and could potentially damage uh you know several vital organs such as the heart and kidneys and it is quite a, a very serious situation right now we don't know how long you know there's a lot of questions surrounding his condition of rhabdomyolysis the I guess the main thing to worry about is how he is going to be feeling, how severe this case is, because this could potentially have long-standing effects for Virgil Ortiz. It's somewhat of a rare condition, but it can happen when you know when athletes are overexerting themselves and or they suffer a muscle injury. It's it, there's a number of ways you can sort of get wrapped up, but it's not exactly a common situation where an athlete would get it. It's happened before, and I guess the worst-case scenario for someone who gets rapto is, you know, permanent disability, and sometimes, and this can be a fatal condition now. Right now, it doesn't look like there's anything pointing to it getting that bad. You can make a full recovery from rapto, but, you know, it depends on a number of things. How soon you're being treated after you first got rapto, how you got rapto in the first place is a number of ways I mentioned that you can get it. Uh, so, and one thing that Virgil Ortiz just tweeted out, which was a little bit telling. But it, first of all, it's good that you know he's out tw- out tweeting. He just announced a um, a, um, a you know he's out tweeting, and so obviously it's not super super serious but it's still pretty serious he said first and foremost i'm very sorry and disappointed to not be fighting saturday camp was going great and i was doing very good in sparring and training in general but for the last two weeks i didn't feel like myself i just felt like my body was deteriorating and i didn't know why and it was frustrating being the fighter that i am i tried toughing it out but when it's your own body against you there's little you can do luckily my dad was also able to tell i wasn't right and took me to the doctor we ran some tests and the doctor concluded that i have rhabdomyolysis i was hospitalized yesterday meaning march 14 and have to stay overnight it could have been a lot worse and i'm thankful that we caught it on time i'm very sorry if i let you guys down believe me if there was a hair of a chance of me fighting i would be so from the looks of things it's possibly may have had wrapped up for about a week which is not the ideal time 
Obviously, if you're dealing with Raptor, you want to get that as soon as possible. It's not the worst. It's not the worst case scenario of you, you know, that time frame between, you said, two weeks and you've been hospitalized on March 14th. So that's also a little over a week, just under two weeks, give or take. From the looks of things, you know, it, it, we're hopeful that Virgil Ortiz makes a full recovery. But this is, uh, Robert, this is a very, very un, unexpected and unfortunate uh, turn of events for a guy who, along with Jerron Ennis, was, you know, looked at, you know, the top two young welterweights coming on up in, in the sport. Type of uh, illness that could curtail a big run at 147 pounds. We all know historically 147 pounds, the welterweight division, is the most talent-laden his- uh, division in the history of boxing. Just look at the historical legendary champions that have reigned at 147 pounds. Virgil Ortiz's career at 147 is in dire straits because in order to beat the likes of a Jerron Ennis, uh, eventually Gary Russell coming up from 140, and Many others that will be coming up to 140, even a Josh Taylor. You have to be 100%. So we will see. We will see uh, when he come, if he if and when he comes back, uh, what Oscar De La Hoya decides uh, to do with him as far as uh, the comeback trail. Because he's going to have to come back from this serious ailment. I was reading up on it before the, we did the podcast. This is no joke. You're right, Carlos. This is a serious situation. Yeah, and from what Virgil was saying and from what Oscar De La Hoya was saying that they hope to have it back in the ring uh, uh, soon or as soon as possible, it does give me hope that this is not a one of those rare cases where he's going where it's going to be debilitating Virgil Ortiz for life. So I get at the very least, I guess that's the the good news in that regard. And and as I mentioned, you can fully recover from rhabdomyolysis, but the problem is that the recovery time, it you know, even in the best case scenario, can vary wildly. It could go anywhere from you know just several from several weeks to several months. And again, it depends on a lot of the factors that. Uh, led to Rapto. How soon was it treated? How did you uh, get it? It's. I, I'm willing to believe that he probably got it because of the high intensity training and uh, over dehydration, which is you know a common thing. And Robert, you and I both know that you know dehydration is not exactly a rare thing among boxers or or even red athletes thing. making red weight. thing. It, it, forget rare. It's in the majority. Yeah, it's they, they, these guys have to maintain weight, cut weight, and they're all cutting weight much lower than their regular body weight. There has to be done something has to be done about fighters. Back in the day, back in the seventies and eighties, if you were a middleweight, you fought as a middleweight. Nowadays, a, hundred, a natural hundred and sixty pound fighter is forcing himself to fight at one forty seven. That's unnatural. I'm surprised we haven't had more. Incidents like this. Virgil Ortiz is a big dude. He's five foot ten. He's carrying a big frame at one forty seven. This might also be a telltale sign for him to forget fighting at one forty seven and go up to one fifty four. Um, it's taking a lot. You, you you see what happened. 
Mm-hmm. Maybe when he comes back, he forgets 147 and goes to 154. Only time will tell, though, Carlos. So I'm going to lay back and see what happens with the recovery process. Yeah, as far as the, the zone card itself, so as of 11.41 p.m. March 15, no new word on the card itself. So the co-main event was Alexis Rocha versus Blair Cobbs. There's essentially one of three ways this can go. This can go. Uh, one, they could scrap the entire card together, and that is a possibility. It's a very real possibility. Number two, they could give uh, Michael McKinsey a new opponent. And and I know Golden Boy in the zone, I know they are frantically looking for an opponent, but I don't know how feasible that is at this moment, given anybody, that we're only four ha- days away from the fight. Anybody has Connor been on speed dial? I'm sure he would love to step in. <laughs> well, the problem is he already has a fight with uh, Chris Van Eerden. Uh, in next month. Oh, please. Man, he that's a bullshit. Get the <laughs> fuck out of here. Go ahead. Continue. Third one and is... When I heard that announcement, I'm like, you're, you're progressing so well. Why are you fighting another job guy? Oh, my God. Go ahead. Third way, uh, third option, I suppose, is that you can scrap Michael McKinsey from the card uh, altogether, put him on another show, and you can put him even on the undercard of that Conor Penn show coming up in a few weeks. Uh, and to just put Blair Conference's Alexis Rocha as the new main event, it's you know it's not exactly. Well, how about how about uh, Blair Cobbs versus McKissick and tell Rocha that that you know that is back. another possibility. You know. I would love to see that. I mean, Blair's talking a lot of mess these days about how allegedly Errol Spence and Boots Ennis are ducking him. And nobody wants to see you fight these guys, man. But you know what? You want to prove yourself. Step in places of Ortiz. Take care of business against McKissick. But then, you know, I, Alex Roach is a tough – either way, yeah. it's a tough yeah, opponent. Yeah, yeah. And, and plus, Michael McKinson is such a vastly different type of fighter from both Rocha and Two Blair different Cubs. fighters. I don't know right. how right. – I don't know, you know, right. really how smart it is to be able to just suddenly switch up on opponents, vastly different he, opponents I, on four days' notice. You know, he, he's a very confident dude. I think if offered the opportunity, he, he'd step in. I, You know, it, it depends. I mean, look, he has a very confident dude. And, you know, he – Lord mm-hmm. no, and. And honestly, you know, in a perfect world, if, you know, if McKinson was offered to either Rocha and Blair Cops, I think that would be a perfectly fine and acceptable fight. Yes, 1,000%. One, 1, so, obviously, we don't know. Maybe the, maybe things will change by the time we get to the... By the time we get to, uh, you know... Later this week, by the time this podcast goes, we may have already gotten worse. So I don't know, but still, the the biggest point in all of this is that we hope that Virgil Ortiz makes a full recovery because it's not exactly the not exactly a great situation going on with Virgil Ortiz. So the real, so I guess the was supposed to sort of lead off the show. Now was the Showtime Boxing announcement of their spring and summer 2022 schedule. Most of the fights were already announced, but we already, but now we have got official confirmation uh, for those cards. So uh, I'm going to go through all the fights that were announced. So I'm going to say this one, so you better pay attention, folks. March 26th 
in Minneapolis, Tim Sue versus Terrell Gauchet, undercar Michelle Rivera versus Joseph Adorno, and Elvis Rodriguez versus Juan Jose Velasco. April 9, Showtime Television from Las Vegas, Erickson Lubin versus Sebastian Fundora, Tony Harrison versus Sergio Garcia, Kelvin Salgado versus Brian Perella. April 16, this one's an interesting one. Showtime pay-per-view, Errol Spence Jr. versus your Dennis Ugas from Arlington, Texas, Jerry World, AT&T Stadium. We already knew about that fight. The wrinkle in that card is that there will actually be a Showtime Championship Boxing TV card right before the pay-per-view. And so far, that TV card is Rashad Bataev versus Amantis Danionis, as well as Brandon Lee versus Zachary Ochoa. So, uh... Contrary to what a lot of people had reported, Butaya versus Stanionis is not on the pay-per-view. It's actually going to be on TV. The actual pay-per-view on the card, uh, Stephen Espinosa said he hopes to have that uh, announced next week. May 14th. Hey, hey, Carlos, yeah. Carlos, quick question. That that Showtime um, doubleheader, both of those fights are viable uh, pay-per-view fights. I don't... I hope they come up with two better fights for the pay-per-view because those two fights in itself are worthy of the pay-per-view. So the way Espinosa phrased things, it does kind of seem... The the phrase that he used was embarrassment of riches in regards to this card. Mm -hmm. So it does lead me to believe that he has three more more fights that could easily uh, be a pay-per-view undercard fight. So Okay. But it's curious to see. I'm curious to see because there are a lot of fights that were announced today. So there's not a lot of wiggle room within the PBC roster to be able to make that kind of those kinds of fights. So I, I'm very curious about that. May and, 14, and we're only and we're only 31 days away. So yeah. May 14, Showtime Championship Boxing TV from Los Angeles. Jermel Charles versus Brian Castaño for the undisputed junior middleweight titles. The rematch that was moved back several several times. Uh, co-main event, Jerron Ennis versus Custio Clayton, IBF welterweight title eliminator. Winner could potentially face the winner of Spence versus Ugas later this year, if not 2023. May 21, Showtime Championship Boxing from Phoenix, David Benavidez versus David Lemieux for the interim WBC Super Middleweight title. And Yoelvis Gomez versus Jorge Cota. May 28th, Showtime pay-per-view from Brooklyn, New York at the Barclays Center. Javante Davis versus Rolando Romero for the WBA regular lightweight title that was supposed to take place last year. Romero got pulled from the show from the card after allegations of sexual assault arose. Uh, investigation turned up no charges, so Romero was uh, put back into this fight after the, the, the WBA Reorder Davis versus Rolando Romero. June 4th, Showtime Championship Boxing TV from Minneapolis. Stephen Fulton Jr. versus Danny Roman for the unified WBC WBO Super Bantamweight titles. And David Morrell versus Calvin Henderson for the WBA regular Super Middleweight title. June 18th, Showtime Championship Boxing. Jermall Charla versus Masich Suleski for the WBC Middleweight title. And July 9th, Showtime Championship Boxing, Mark Masayo versus Ray Vargas for the WBC featherweight title. Uh, there's a lot to sort of take in. There's a lot to talk about. Robert, what are your initial impressions on the overall schedule? Except for a Charlo fighting that stiff Selecki. It's a great, great lineup. Uh, that sticks out like a sore thumb. Um, and I'm tired of these 
154, 160, and 168 pound fighters fighting stiff after stiff after stiff. Why do we have to see this goddamn fight? A main event on a Showtime card? No. Other than that, I cannot argue with this uh, great lineup. You have a lot of great matchups, a lot of great fights. Oh, and um, in my opinion, Romero doesn't deserve a pay-per-view fight, but I'm looking forward to that fight because hopefully uh, Javante puts him in the hospital and permanently ends his this bastard's career. Uh, that's a leaky fight. I don't understand it. I don't, Charlo was trying to get fights with other fighters, and he wants a fight this stiff. Well, okay, Why? in defense, now— He's now, not on. that good! Here's oh Okay, in defense—first of all, I, I agree with you. This is a terrible fight on paper, and Seleski has proven time and time again. He's not really up to the elite oh. middleweight level, and it's—you know, we've seen that multiple times. This is not Charlo or Showtime or PBC's fault. This is not their I fault. I know. You're, you're, you're going to go into the Jaime Munguia situation. A fight that we talked about last week, hoping it would be made. And not only is that fight off. But as a matter of fact, yeah, talk about Jaime Munguia and the last 72 hours of his career. And why is he doing what he's doing, in your opinion? So I'm going to, you know, for those of you listening, I, I'm going to say this right now. The fact that Jamal Charlo and Jaime versus Jaime Munguia is not happening is not Munguia's fault, nor is it Charlo's fault, nor is it Showtime, nor PBC's fault. Munguia did everything he could yes. uh, and did, you know, he signed everything. He had agreed to everything. This was not his fault. The fault kind of essentially went to essentially his team and his promoters kind of making things a lot more difficult. One way I could, I've heard it sort of described was, you know, a too many cooks in the kitchen type of situation in regards to Munguia. Remember, Munguia, it, you know, he's promoted by Fernando Beltran, and there's also Oscar Deloitte and Golden Boy promotions to deal with, and there's also, you know, the zone. And he, hell, even Stephen Espinosa admitted, I had no doubt in my mind that, Munguia wanted this fight, and he agreed to everything. It was just his promoters sort of basically making things uh, difficult to the point that the fight uh, essentially fell through. So, it, the fact that, you know, obviously Seleski, Seleski must have been a probably tapped for the undercard of that show because mm -hmm. that was a very quick turnaround to go from the fight not happening... Essentially, a day before a, a day yep. before the uh, the the announcement to already having an opponent, so that leaves me believe Celeste was probably planned to fight around that time frame, maybe even on that undercard. But I mean, it sucks, and I don't, you know. Again, it's not it's not it's Mugia's fault. It's not Mugia's fault. It's not Charles' fault. What about him turning down a title eliminator? Yeah, so uh, which one are you referring to? Because technically, Munguia had two title eliminators. Yeah, well, which ones? So and I, I'll tell you which one. He, he it came out today that he refused to 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 go forward with. So obviously, there. So the initial one obviously was the WBO interim title fight with um, Alim Hanala. That's the one because he came out. Uh, he came out and said, man, that's the fourth time someone's canceled on me. And they had reports today all over 
that Mugia, Mugia, sorry, I, I didn't mean to butcher his name, uh, has pulled out of even considering that fight. What's going on with Golden Boy, big man? We see all of these situations with with Golden Boy fighters. I mean, Virgil Ortiz is excusable. He got sick. But Mugia, uh, not wanting to fight, my man. My man says now he's looking for a fourth opponent. Uh, uh, Ryan Garcia, with the difficulties he's had the last 15 months, I don't understand it. Yeah, so I, I feel bad for Johnny Bacalin Hanala. He was supposed to fight... It really was supposed to be against Esquiva Falcao. Then, you know, right. then the fight with Mungia Andrade, was a possibility. He's supposed, to fight a, he's supposed to fight Andrade too, right? Wasn't right. that a possibility? Right. Yeah. And, you know, now that's happening. Now the latest on the interim WBO middleweight title situation, it's right now Johnny Bekalin Hanala versus Danny Dignam. And um, I have no reason to think oh, that Dignam is going to uh, <sighs> get out of that one. And there is some, it's, 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 obviously there was a possibility that you know if the WBC, which technically does not have a, which does not have a mandatory challenger. Munguia was the number one ranked fighter at middleweight by the WBC, but he was not their mandatory challenger. So there was a possibility that you, maybe the WBC could order Jaime Munguia versus Carlos Adamas, which. I, you know, depending on who probably would win that person, it would either land on the, the zone or would, land on a piece. I would love to. I would love to see that fight. That fight has fireworks written all over. You can't have a boring fight with those two guys fighting. Yeah. So, it's a. You know, it, it sucks for Charlo and for Mungia. You know, and Charlo. I mean, especially for Charlo, because I mean, he there was a possibility that he could have fought Canelo Alvarez in May. Turns out that's not. And you know, that's not happening. And now we got in, in this possibility of, uh, of fighting Jaime Munguia no longer happening. So it, I do feel really bad for Jamal Charlo. I mean, he's not some yeah, terrible don't, don't, luck. He went from a possible mega payday to a great payday to a regular payday. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, it's yeah. I mean. And hell, and there, not to mention, you even, you even go back, you know, years and years, not necessarily years and years, but even before the Canelo situation, I mean, there have been talks with with a fight against Demetrius Andre that fell through. And yeah. I was, personally for me, I was sort of under the impression that Chris Eubank Jr. was sort of planned as a potential fight against Jamal Charlo. And obviously that never happened. Eubank, you know, this is now fighting back in the UK. Mm-hmm. So... Mm-hmm. There's a lot of potential, and, and and Charlo that end up getting what, I don't, Jer- that Evianchenko you know after the two losses to uh, to Golovkin and to Danny Jacobs. What I don't understand is why not the possibility of Erislandi Lara? I They're don't both know. at one sixty. I don't know. I mean, that's a better matchup than Suleki. I think that to me that is that's a way better fight, and I think that's a yeah. way much more attractive fight. I think it's Much doable. Yeah. I think it's doable. I don't know. I, I suppose PBC has different plans for um. PBC has well, different they plans better, for they Lara. They better. They better hurry up. He's sixty-five years old. What the hell is the? What the hell are they waiting for? <laughs> no. I mean, I suppose there. There's pay-per-view. I mean, there's pay-per-view other card slots available for Lara. So I don't know if maybe the plan is to do that, or I don't know if maybe. Fox has a TV card 
it, you know, maybe for later this year, and they can't have Arslan and Laura fight on that one. I don't know. I, I personally, I think that Charlo against who? Against who? Though against who? Another stiff at one sixty? I, I really don't know. <laughs> Generally, don't know. Um, a lot of interesting Look, fights it's, on this it's card. What, it, it's one thing when two rival promoters can't get two established stars in the ring together. It's another thing when two fighters under the same umbrella fighting in the same division don't find a way to fight each other when it makes all the sense in the world. I don't understand it. That's that's great. That's a good point. <laughs> um, I really do like this schedule. You know, I, I think yes, it's a very it's good. A it's a very schedule. solid schedule. Notwithstanding yeah. Jamal Charles versus Masia Suleski, and you know, maybe they'll. And there's a possibility that they could. Uh, reinforce that undercard with some pretty good fights. They could, you know, with, you know, that card is still salvageable. You know, the main event is not the, um, it's not the entire card. And we've seen time and time again, if the main, by the end of, you know, sometimes some well, maybe, showtime maybe, cards, maybe the main could, event is not that great. The undercard is usually pretty good. Maybe they could put Lyra on the undercard as a, as a sort of like an unlimited, a, a unofficial tournament where the winners face each other. Then you know you're talking very about fun. maybe they got something else for Lara. Put him on the undercard. I it's mean, he's got a fight soon. It's been a minute since he fought it. The last time he fought, well, he was, he was in the ring for what, 45 seconds. <laughs> yeah. So last time Lara fought was that was May of last year. Wow, I can't there believe it's been go. that long. And it, what? And, and what? Well, how long the fight lasted? A minute and a half. Minute and twenty seconds. <laughs> 80, sec- 80 seconds total. Oh, my God. This is ridiculous. He's too old to take layoffs like this. Yeah. Uh, I- I'm a little perplexed as to why as to why Lara is not uh, – hasn't already had a fight announced. So mm. the other – you know, there's a couple of interesting fights on, on the ground. First of all, I'm glad that Brandon Lee is getting more of a push. I do like that a lot. Uh, I love the Stephen Fulton versus Danny Roman fight, and I love that. It's about that it... time Danny Roman got a title. Let me tell you, uh, listeners out there, there are three fighters who barely lost their world titles and have not received a rematch in over two years. Maybe going some of them going on three. We're talking Tevin Farmer. We're talking Danny Ramon. Roman, and we're talking Regis Prograce. How are these three tremendous fighters? All three of these, th- these aren't stiffs. These are very good, to excellent fighters, borderline great fighters, not get title shots after barely losing their titles over two years ago, all three of them. I'm glad Roman gets his, gets his title opportunity, finally. But the other two are still laboring in, in obscurity. I don't understand. Boxing today really pisses me off, Carlos, when guys that deserve title shots after being tremendous champions, because all three of these guys were defending their titles on a regular basis three, four times a year. Now they can't even get arrested after barely losing their titles over two years ago. Right. And, <laughs> yeah, and Danny, um, uh, and he's a guy that's been patiently waiting because he's won title eliminators. He's won... Fights against some pretty good, ca- yep. uh, pretty good guys at super bantamweight, and and, and he's, he's, and like he's for a point dominated. That we're never going to get uh, another title shot, but I'm glad he's finally getting that. 
It's going to be a tremendous fight. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, uh, Fulton is a tremendous talent, tremendous talent, but he has his Achilles heel that a lot of Philadelphia fighters have, including the Meldrick Taylor and the Matthew Saad Muhammad, is that these guys with incredible boxing ability, like Fulton, like Saad Muhammad, like Meldrick Taylor, mix it up too much. And he is going to give Danny Roman opportunity after opportunity to land shots. This is going to be a great fight. And Roman could steal this fight from a fighter who I believe Fulton is more talented than Roman. But if Roman is hungrier and is there in the pocket to land counters because he's a tremendous counterpuncher, Fulton is going to give him opportunity all night by staying in the pocket for Roman to land counter after counter. And I don't know, uh, Carlos, mm -hmm. if Stephen Fulton can go back to how he used to be when he was coming up uh, boxing from the outside. He's become an inside fighter. It's going to be a tremendous fight. And this fight can go either way. This is not this is not an easy fight for Fulton. Kudos to Fulton for, for taking on a very tough, tough fighter in his very first defense. I fully agree with everything you said. And I, there's a lot of, so the one thing that I'm, that I'm a little concerned about is the fact that Showtime has two pay-per-views uh, in the span of six weeks. And we have a total of three major pay-per-views in the span of six in weeks six, from April 16 yep. to May 28. Because we also got the Canelo Alvarez versus Dimitri Bivol uh, pay-per-view from uh, Vegas. Is, 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 that, is, that the, is that the only three? Or you got April 16th, Errol Spence, Ugas, uh, May 7th, Canelo, uh, Bivol, and uh, what's, the, what's the other pay-per-view? May, May 14th or May 21st? May 28th. May twenty eighth, uh, Romero versus Tank. Oh, uh, by the uh, by the way, uh, Romero Tank. If they do twenty thousand buys, I'll be shocked. All right, because <laughs> there's no way in the world people are going to shell out seventy five dollars here, a hundred dollars there, and seventy five another seventy five dollars in a six week period while we're going through massive unemployment and inflation, the likes we haven't seen in almost forty years. 40 years to be exact, because 1982, not to get political, ladies and gentlemen, but the, do the research. We're going through the worst inflation in 40 years, since 1982. And when inflation happens, people have to cut back on their resources and cut back on stuff they like to enjoy. And pay-per-view is going to be one of them. There's no way in the world a, 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 a casual boxing fan, the fans that these uh, pay-per-view events need is going to buy all three pay-per-views. If anything, the, the first priority is going to be Canelo. And to be honest, that's the best fight of the three pay-per-views anyway. Um, and then if they have any money left over, it'll be Spence Ugas because that's a, a unification fight. Uh, Romero versus uh, 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 Raleigh, that fight's going to be on free TV the following week. So they could bite the bullet on that one because there's no way in the world Romero's going to win that fight. So why would you spend money on a pay-per-view when the outcome is already predetermined? So there you go. I will say... That fight, is going, I, to, that fight is going to do horrible numbers. I will say, I do. I am excited over the return of boxing at the Barclays Center. By the time they step into the ring, it'll be 26 months 
since the last and, time and the Barclays Center and, had it. And it's going and it's going to sell out. It's going to be a it's going to be a fantastic yeah. atmosphere. I'm yeah. Not gonna yeah. lie, I might actually consider if you know, depending on my fans. Well, you you, you better get the you better get the tickets as soon as they go on sale because that, uh, that I mean, I probably might try to get a credential if I'm yeah. going there. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Because that that's probably put me your best bet. Because that fight, like you said, there's the first card that's gonna occur there since uh February March of 2020, pre-pandemic. So that's that fight's gonna sell out big time. Yeah. So I'm uh, you know. I'm excited for I'm excited for that event because I'm sure the undercard's going to be pretty good. And they're going to have to stack it up because that main event is a is a slaughter. They they maybe. they're putting that boy in to get slaughtered. Maybe they're putting uh, Arizona you know, Lara on that one. <laughs> yeah, there you go. They can put Lara on that card. They 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 got so many fighters on this on this table. They could could put it in. Um, what I was, what is a Javante? Was I? I read somewhere where there was a mandatory fight coming up for that the winner could fight Javante, like a title eliminator. Man, my um, man, I forgot. I read read something. It was a hundred and thirty-five pound up and coming fighter that might be Javante's next opponent after Romero. Um, to be honest with you, Carlos. Uh, so well, I, I well, I I don't know if this is you necessarily who, what you're you, referring. You know what I'm talking about. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. So, no, 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 go ahead. You may, maybe you got the answer. I don't know if this is what you're referring to, but over the weekend there was a title eliminator for the WBA lightweight title. Again, never they never specify which one because there's right, two right. WBA lightweight title holders. Mm-hmm. But just real Corrales did beat Miguel Bandueño in Panama, and that was no, that's, a that's, title eliminator. That's not the one I was thinking about. I was thinking about another fighter. Oh, uh, well, Corrales would be a step up from um, Romero. <laughs> I mean, it would, but. I'll tell you, you know, man. Hey, and why not a, a rematch with Cruz? Shoot, man, that boy deserves a rematch. Yeah, yeah, I like that. You know, I I want to see how what Isaac Cruz does uh, from this point uh, onward to seeing how you know bouncing back from that Gervonta Davis loss last year. But I, Isaac Cruz is still a pretty dangerous guy at lightweight. Hey, look, he his performance against Davis. It's one of the rare times of boxing where a guy. Uh, won even though he lost. He came out looking uh like a like a true warrior and a dangerous opponent for anybody 135 pounds. So he definitely deserves a rematch if they're going to stay in house. And if they're going to stay in house, I think the fight they can eventually make if they're going to stay in in house, they got to keep my man busy because I've been telling people Frank the Ghost Martin. That next year 2023 that could be a potential super fight if they keep putting Martin in with the right guys. Uh, Martin is fighting um, Javier Fatuda, right? Coming up? Uh, let me... I don't... Check it out, because I saw a report that... I, I saw a report... If it was, I it think, hasn't been announced. Because I, I I think a few days ago, if not over the weekend, Frank Martin posted that that was the plan for him, for him to but fight if it, but it wasn't. Fatuda. But it hasn't been officially announced. And, and Errol, Errol, Errol Spence, who's now his stablemate, mentioned the same thing. Hmm. Um, and Fortuna's the perfect opponent for, opponent for Martin at this stage because he's an aggressive fighter and he'll bring out the best in Martin. I love the way the, they're uh, bringing him along and with Derek James as his trainer, it's a perfect trainer for his skill set. Um, I, I hope we see that fight next year, Martin versus Javante, if they're going to stay in-house. 
that would be a tremendous fight if Martin continues his progress, and I don't see why not. So over the weekend, we had what may have been the best fight of 2022 so far. With a comeback of the year leader and a knockout of the year leader. Lee Wood and Michael Conlon had one of the best fights of the year. I would say the best fight of the year so far over the weekend. I agree. Yes, yes. Lee Wood dropped in the first round against uh, by Michael Conlon by a beautiful left hand from Conlon. Just surprised everyone with how the fight uh, started. Conlon landing the left hook at will. Co- uh, then Carlos, Lee- Carlos, 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 don't don't piss me off. Those were not left hooks. I'm sorry. I meant left hands. I meant left. Hands. <laughs> they were left crosses. All right. And what pissed me off about this fight with Lee Wood. He couldn't, for the first six, seven rounds, he couldn't stop that left cross. He that left cross landed at will. I mean, it seemed oh, like any time, with, it seemed like any time Michael Conlon moved his left hand just anywhere, it just always found the mark on. I'm like, Lee what Wichita. the hell was going on? There was, he never adjusted, by the way. He kept getting hit with that left even late in the fight. You, you could continue your analysis, but. That's a huge problem I have with Lee Wood. He can't stop that left, that that straight left down the pipe. <laughs> so Conlon was essentially dominating the fight. Started to sort of gas like just a little bit late in the fight, and then all of a sudden, Lee Wood drops Conlon late in the eleventh. And then everyone thought, okay, maybe you know, this a minor chance, but it's still Conlon's fight to lose. And then all of a sudden, it halfway through the round. The the initial camera uh, angle did not do the knockout justice, but essentially, Lee Wood landed a right hand essentially on the yes. temple of yes. Michael Conlon, yes. was just completely knocked out by that point. His body was, you know, was, was, was just pr- like a ragdoll, for lack of a better term. And Wood just kept throwing these these big haymakers, essentially as Conlon was already knocked out and he was knocked out of the ring mm. in what was a really scary situation. And Lee Wood defended his WBA regular featherweight title with a 12-round knockout. It was a spectacular fight. And um, first of all, I want to give kudos to Lee Wood because he... Reeled it in. He didn't celebrate too much after the you know the initial shock that he just knocked out Michael Conlon. He was so composed. He was very um, empathetic uh, towards Michael Conlon. It was a very scary sight. It was Conlon was out of the ring for for a very very long time as it was being tended to. And you know he thankfully, he, he led he landed head first outside the ring onto the concrete floor. Right. It it did look like I think yeah. I think Conlon's trainers uh did uh managed to catch him or at least a couple of people okay from the I corner so. did catch him at the very last like or at least they lo- they were already running to to conlon so because that that looked like a mick foley off the cage onto the onto the table hell in the cell versus undertaker bump he took oh, that man. was scary I, that I, was scary i was thinking closer to light yeah yeah no it was actually yeah 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 i that's that's a good way of putting it but you know conlon tweeted after after all of this he was in the hospital he was stable uh so encouraging signs from conlon but 
My goodness, this was such an unbelievable fight. This was incredible. It was... And right now, it's your... Right now, it's your fight of the year leader. You're not put potentially knockout of the year leader. And you're potentially I, 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 comeback I, of the year leader. Look, you have the fight of the year so far. It's early. And while it was a great fight, you could conceivably have a, a greater fight than that. Sure. Uh, rounds of eight and rounds of 11, the leading contenders for round of the year. Because both those rounds were biblical. Biblical. Uh Colin was winning the 11th round until he got dropped late in the 11th round, and the announcers butchered the knockdown. Oh, that might have been a slip, but the replay clearly showed that he got hit with a beautiful shot down the middle before he went down. And the knockout of the year, what? I mean, he got knocked out of the ring head head first to the concrete floor, and he was behind uh, the scorecards. I'm disgusted at the scorecards. How the hell did the judges only two of the three judges only had Wood winning, Wood losing by one point going into the twelfth round? Conlon dominated this fight, scored a first round knockdown. Where did it get these scores from? I'm tired. Uh, the UK, the British Board of Boxing Control, the BBBC, they need to really look into their judges or who they're deciding to judge these fights through the WBC, WBA, WBO, IBF, etc. Because the most controversy this year has been in England when it comes to scoring. If, let's say, he would have got up from this knockdown, if he would have went in the ring, he would have lost a split decision on um, Conlon on a fight he deserved to win. He so fought his ass off. Um, and Lee Wood, uh, Carlos, mm -hmm. his defense is horrible. Uh He's getting knocked out soon. He can't guard a left hand. He can't guard a left hand. He got hit with every single left hand down the pipe. Uh, he's got a great chin, but Collins not a power puncher. He his reign is not going to be much longer. And he took a hell of a amount of punishment in this fight. This is the type of fight that could ruin both fighters for the rest of their career. So if I were the promoters. I see if Conlon can recover and make a rematch right away and try to juice this because both guys took a type of punishment that could be career-threatening. That was a brutal fight. I would love a rematch, by the way. I would yes. absolutely love it. Yes, and so it would be another so, war. <laughs> the scorecards at the time of the knockout, they all had Conlon winning, but the scores were 104-103. 104, mm -hmm. 103, and 105, 102. So, as Robert uh, could, just mentioned, I can see 105, 102, Carlos. Mm -hmm. I can't see 104, 103. He would have gotten robbed. They would have been, oh, man, I don't know what's worse. I don't know what would have been the worst way for him to lose, God, Conlon was dominating. Wood came on strong after the seventh, eighth round. But the first six, seven rounds was basically all Conlon. He kept landing. And even when Wood would come back and, and start strong, Conlon would always come back with those straight left hands. And uh, Conlon did tremendous work to the body. This was Conlon's best performance of his career, even in losing. Man, it, the, the judging in the UK needs to change. It's just yes, complete it, awful. Look, look what's happened the last two months. It's ridiculous. And here's the thing. You know, and, and I said this back with the whole Jack Catterall situation. Yeah. Some of these fighters 
one bad scorecard and they may never get a world title shot ever again through no fault of their own. And hey, Colin may never be the same and in his next fight what if if he fight well he will fight again. He he took a type of punishment that could, could damage he could be damaged goods right now and all for naught because had he found a way to survive that 12th round he would have lost. And Catterall, you say might be dropped out of the uh, title eliminator if if Taylor uh, goes ahead with his plans and dropping the WBO title because of lousy scorecards. And and here's the thing. The new WBO. So uh, last week I had mentioned that essentially the WBA, WBO, and IBF titles, we already know what the uh what the yeah. situation is taylor and i can't remember if we actually discussed this like this may have been announced before, uh after the podcast but uh alberto Puello was ordered by the wba to fight josh taylor and so essentially we already got the wba wbc and ibf uh potential fights for vacant titles if and when taylor uh uh-huh. were to were, were to essentially vacate office belts. The only one that we didn't know was the WBO. And the WBO rankings, the new rankings are out. And unfortunately for Jack Catterall, if Taylor were to vacate his title right now, he would not be among the two fighters ordered to, to fight for the vacant title. He was dropped from number one to number three. And the rule of thumb is highest rank, uh, high, the two highest ranked available contenders, them being Liam Paro, number one, and Teofimo Lopez, number two. So, and you know what's ridiculous? How is Teofimo Lopez ranked ahead of Catterall when Catterall was robbed in, the, in his fight against Taylor and Lopez has never fought at 140? I don't know. I think it's, I, I think it's, it's not awful. like they've done in the past where a WBO champion is looked at as a number one contender from a division below because he's not the WBO champion right now. Yeah, from, from a division above or below, and I was I know what you're talking about. It's a, the super champion yeah. designation that Terrence Crawford yeah. and Alexander Usyk and Clarissa right. Shields and now Josh Taylor will use to become mandatory well, challenger. But uh, Taylor doesn't have that yet. He's the number two contender. He lost his last fight. He's never fought at 140. This just Give me to you, Fimo. That's what I meant. I'm sorry. Tiafimo Lopez, who lost his last fight, has never fought at 140. He's number two? I don't understand it. I don't know. It's so... Right now, and and here's the thing. Um, Catterall is promoted by Frank Warren. um, And fortunately, none of the fighters, if if I'm reading this correctly, none of the fighters... Uh, that uh, that would be in line for title shots are uh, promoted, but went by Frank Warren. So that's this is, this a, just criminal, just criminal. Yeah, it, it, it's it's pathetic. It's pathetic, and I don't understand why Taylor doesn't stay at one forty for one more fight and get a big payday against Tiafimo Lopez. He can't make weight. That's true. He can't make weight. Yeah, you know what? Yeah, why why fight Lopez for a big payday if you got to drain yourself and then potentially get hurt, to, uh, e- even though you get a big payday? Yeah, 
I got you, big. I got you, big man. He can't make weight. Yeah. So I'm gonna reiterate this: if the titles were to be vacated right now, here are the fights that would be ordered: Jose Cepeda versus Jose Ramirez for the WBC, Alberto Puello versus Ismael Barroso for the WBA, Jeremiah Ponce versus Subriel Matia for the IBF. Liam Paro versus Teofimo Lopez for DWBO. How the hell is Regis Progress not in the mix for one of these titles? He's number three in the WBC. Uh, He's the best junior welterweight not named Josh Taylor in that damn ranking right now. I firmly, firmly believe that Regis Progress should be on that title shot. I firmly believe. Ladies and gentlemen, like I mentioned at the top of the uh, program, it is criminal that Tevin Farmer and Regis Progress, and now Roman has gotten his shot, so I'm going to exclude him from that list. But it's criminal that Regis Progress and Tevin Farmer, who barely lost their titles, barely, barely lost their titles, have not received a rematch. And you're going to have four world title belts vacant, and he doesn't get a shot at any of them? That's why the, the, the alphabet groups are criminals, and you should not take them seriously. It's ridiculous. We know that the two best, the three best junior welterweights in the world are Ramirez, Taylor, and Progress. And it's ridiculous that Progress doesn't get a shot at one of these titles. And it's ridiculous that Catterall doesn't get a shot at the WBO title after getting fleeced. And Teofimo Lopez gets a title shot despite never fighting at 140 and losing his last fight. Uh, I uh, I rest my goddamn case. The only possible hope that Prograce gets the title shot, and uh, this is, and you're essentially uh, praying for about twenty miracles to occur. Jose Cepeda is fighting this weekend in Mexico in a stay busy fight. He has to hope. That some miracle happens and Cepeda actually loses this fight. I doubt it. He's fighting a, 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 a journeyman, I think, with a 500 record. So he's not. Cepeda he's is fighting, not looking. He's, he's fighting a Mexican Uber driver. That's not happening. All right. Forget no. that. Cepeda Ramirez is going to happen. It's going to be a great fight. And, but yeah. how is Regis Progress not ranked number one across the board I in know. all four divisions? It I may, don't understand it. Genuinely does not make sense in my opinion. It it really does not. He's number six in the WBA, number five not, in the IBF. There are not, there are not five better junior world tweets in the world. And number seven Regis in the Progress. WBO. Where 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 did they find six junior world tweets better than Regis Progress in the world? I don't understand these rankings. Uh, but I do to an extent. I guess it's whoever gets, whoever these criminal cartels get paid by the promoters and managers of these fighters because it makes no. Goddamn sense. Those Bob Arum checks seem to be clearing the uh, the WPO and WBC's uh, direct deposit on a weekly basis. I don't understand it, Carlos. Somebody, look, my Twitter handle is Robert Silver five seven six eight. Get me ending uh, the show yeah. already, Robert. My email address is Robert Silver fifty seven at hotmail.com. If you have some inside information on to why Regis Pro, what they're essentially doing, Carlos. Is what the sanctioning bodies did to Riddick Bow in 1994 and 1995. Uh, they didn't even rank him, and he was arguably the best heavyweight in the world. Right? 
This is what they're doing to Regis Progress right now. And last I checked, Regis Progress is not Russian, nor has he support, publicly supported Vladimir Putin. <laughs> No, no, he's been very quiet. <laughs> you know, not saying you should have an opinion, but I'm just it, saying a lot of fighters right now just, no, are getting no, a, just, a little it affected. Does, it, it doesn't, it, it doesn't make sense to me at all, man. It, this is criminal. All right, big man, continue. Let me get off my soapboxes. This shit really pissed me off. So it's there's a speaking of Regis Progress actually you know he is fighting on this uh, two day pro bellum card in Dubai he's gonna be fighting Tyrone McKinson he's you know a decent junior welterweight but no reason to believe Regis Progress can't come out on top he's this this, this is a stay busy fight Carlos because nobody wants to fight Progress uh, he's one of the most duck fighters in the world right now uh, understandably so. Uh, is there any American TV for these cards? I will get. I, I want to see Regis fight. So, yeah. March 18 and March 19, those shows were got picked up by Fubo, by Fubo TV, uh, for the U.S. And March 18, that's a that's a free TV app, right? That's a free TV app. I, I think believe. you can get a free trial. I believe you can get. I think it's a streaming platform. I think you can get a free. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. I think you can get a free trial. I I, I tried what? Fubo a long. American Ameri- American TV time. Do you have times on when these fights are airing? American like the morning, the early afternoon. Maybe you have a. Uh, do you have any times? Yeah, I will check with that in just a second because I do have the press release, but I don't actually recall. Um. I actually don't recall uh, Pro Bellum announcing the actual start times for those shows. Because remember, the Access like, TV no. card from a co- the Access TV card from a couple of months ago from Dubai. I think it started nine thirty ten in the morning, right? Uh, I think I think those were like the super early prelim cards. So I think the the main cards per se. I I think mm-hmm. those are going to take place uh, later. So okay, so. On their website, it says uh, the events, the actual events. So it's you know very possible it may change, but they're going by GMT time, which is I believe the I believe that is uh, four hours. I believe that is four hours. Now that we're four hours right now, because we are in daylight savings. So okay. That would mean noon. So 16 GMT for March 18th. So that's noon if my math is correct. And 16.45 GMT March 19th. So that is 12.45 p.m. If I did my math correctly. Okay. March 18th show. Estelle Mosley versus Yanina Del Carmen Lescano. Uh, t- uh, that's the headlining the show. John O'Carroll versus Sarif Gordijilak. I, I, pr- I apologize if I uh, mispronounced that name. Oshaki Foster versus Muhammad Kuja Yakubov in a WBC Super Featherweight title eliminator. Also on the card, uh, Bakatir Jalilov, unbeaten heavyweight, who won an Olympic gold medal at Super Heavyweight in the Olympics. He's going to be fighting on this show. He just signed with uh, Pro Bellum, it, to be, which was to be expected given that uh, Jalilov is a Lou Devella promoted guy, and Devella is now 
working with Probellum. Yep. March 19th show, yep. Sonny Edward versus Muhammad Wasim for the IBF Flyweight title. Tyrone McKenna versus Regis Prograce. T.A. Dahani versus Cesar Juarez. That could actually be a, an interesting fight. Uh, in my opinion, Dahani has always been in good fights. Juarez has always game. So that could potentially be a very, very interesting fight. Maybe like an under the, under the radar fight to watch out for. And the main card, the big card now that we got on Saturday from Madison Square Garden on ESPN, a Puerto Rican heavy card headlined by Edgar Berlanga versus Steve Rolls. That's your main event. There's a lot of intrigue, at least on my side, on how Edgar Berlanga looks in his first fight after surgery. He didn't look great in his last fight last year which was the toughest uh, toughest fight of his career up to that point against Marcelo Esteban Coceres he did win but he got dropped and Berlanga got I think was elbow surgery and now he's back and he's fighting a very interesting a very solid solid uh, veteran in Steve Rolls I'm not I'm actually not uh, under under the belief that Berlanga is a guaranteed win on this one, Steve Rolls is very capable of pulling the upset off. I I, I just don't believe in Steve Rolls though. Um, you know he had that fight against Triple G. He showed me nothing. He he's a decent boxer, but I think Berlanga could uh, even if he's losing the fight, land one big shot and, and knock out Rolls. This is the this this fight's not going to tell me. Where Belanga's at, unless I don't think so, Rose either. dominates. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, Rose could pull off the upset, but uh, I, I don't think so. Hey, I'm I'm Belanga's biggest critic, but even I can see that I don't think Rose is going to win this fight. I think Rose was picked on purpose by Aaron and company as a as a uh, make him make Belanga look good after he struggled and almost got knocked out in his last fight. So we will see, but uh. He's there's a lot of work to be done with him. His defense is shoddy. He's he throws no jabs. He's go he tries to knock you out with one shot all the time. He's got a good trainer. That's why I understand why he cause keeps doing the same same thing over and over again. His trainer's a good trainer. Long time uh New York City uh, a great trainer. Yeah, it's uh, maybe maybe they did maybe the Nine months or so that in between fights, maybe they could have been able to get uh, retool Berlanga as he's also recovered from uh, from uh, surgery. Uh, also on the undercard, Sanders Zion versus Quincy Lavelles, John Bowser versus Tony Luis. That rounds out the triple header on ESPN at 10 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Plus 7:15 Eastern. We got Bruce Carrington. Uh, who is a lot of people are very high on, going up against Yuri Anduhar, as well as uh, Yai Tucker tr- versus Tracy Magruder, Henry LeBron versus Jose Ruiz, Kelvin Davis versus Philip Carmouche, and Armani Almastica versus Eliseo Villalobos. That rounds out your card. Like God, I said, very dude, Puerto Rico heavy. I've, looked, I've, been, I've been to several Madison Square Garden cards throughout my entire, throughout my, well, they didn't allow they didn't allow uh children under the age of twelve to go to the garden 
until 1979. I didn't go up, uh, attend my first MSG call with my father until I was 12 in 1980. So for the last 42 years, I've been to several MSG cards. This is a stacked fucking card. Look at how many damn fights they got on this card. I believe that, uh, it is eight total fights no. on the card. I guess it's very, it's also very prospect heavy, and that's on purpose. They want to be able to build up, especially yeah. a lot of their Puerto Rican prospects, yeah. to build yeah. them up to be stars and headline more shows in at Madison Square Garden. Because Top Rank understands the value of having a big Puerto Rican attraction in New York. Look, they've been doing it for they've been doing it for years. They used to promote Miguel Cotto. They know. Yeah, yeah, and you know they hope that guys like Santa Zayas and Edgar Berlanga can get to that level where they can headline the big garden because this is taking place at the Hulu Theater. It's not taking place. At I'm the big... I'm going to reiterate what I said over and over again on this podcast. Xander Zayas will be the first all-time great Puerto Rican middleweight world champion. We've had a couple. That had, had cup of coffees and Miguel Cotto and Felix Trinidad, but they were cup of coffees. Xander Zayas, in my opinion, is going to be the first Puerto Rican great middleweight that has a long title ring. In my opinion, he's the next great guy at 160, and eventually he will be headlining those Puerto Rican Day uh, cards in June at Master Square Garden. He will be, he's a can't miss while Belanga is. <laughs> Uh, very highly doubtful at this point. All right, Robert, where can the good people read uh, read your work and find you on Twitter? I know you had said this earlier. You even put out your damn email, yeah, but just think, but I've, we got to keep tradition going, re- man. I'm going to repeat, and I'm going to repeat my email address too, because if those out, if anybody out there has inside information as to why Regis Progress and Tevin Farmer cannot get a title shot, email me at robertsilver fifty seven at hotmail.com. Let me know. I promise I will not reveal my sources. <laughs> On Twitter, I'm Robert Silva 5768 My articles could be read on the parrot website of this podcast, fightgamemedia.com. Uh, right now, I'm doing the 45 Greatest Fighters of the Last 45 Years series. Recently, uh, number 19, where Ferdo Gomez was published. Upcoming, my number 18, Andre Ward, is about to be published. That's done, and I'm almost finished with my number 17, Bernard Hopkins. You can also find me on Twitter, at Carlos Toro Media. And that'll do it for this episode of the Pound for Pound podcast. He's Robert Silva. I'm Carlos Toro. Enjoy this week's fights, and we'll be back next week for more boxing talk here on the Pound for Pound Network on the Fight Game Media Network. Have a great week, everyone. Goodbye.